frustrating sometimes even as a Christian. Can you imagine what they would be like without God? For instance, when we lose a loved one, if we know that they are born again, we know we have a hope that we will see them again in glory. So yes, we weep, but we don't weep as those, with, as those with, without Christ who have no hope. And so we could go through many different situations of life and look at those. But remember again, the perspective from which Solomon is examining these things, and life without God is vanity. You know, you've seen the slide now going on the little slideshow um, um, has a little boy chasing soap bubbles. We're going to look at a few of those situations in life that can be frustrating apart from God. And here in chapter 6, starting at verse 1, Solomon writes, There is an evil which I have seen under the sun, and it is common among men. A man to whom God hath given riches, wealth, and honor, so that he wanteth nothing for his soul of all that he desireth, yet God giveth him not the power to eat thereof. But a stranger eateth it, this is vanity... And this is an evil disease. If a man beget a hundred children and live many years so that the days of his life be many and his soul be not filled with good and also that he have no burial, I say that an untimely birth is better than he. For he cometh in with vanity and departeth in darkness and his name shall be covered with darkness. Moreover, he hath not seen the sun nor known anything. This hath this hath more rest than the other. Yea, though I live a thousand years twice told, yet hath he seen no good, do not all go to one place. All the labor of man is for his mouth, and yet the appetite is not filled. For what hath the wise more than the fool? What hath the poor that knoweth to walk before the living? <clears throat> Better in the sight of the eyes, better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering of the desire. This also is vanity and vexation of spirit. That which hath been is named already, and it is known that it is it is man. Neither may he contend with him that is mightier than he. Seeing there be many things that increase vanity, what is man the better? For who knoweth what is good for man in this life, all the days of his vain life, which he spendeth as a shadow? For who can tell a man what shall be after him under the sun? Kind of paints a pretty gloomy picture, doesn't he? But again, this is what life looks like without God. Looking at life naturally, apart from God, it is gloomy. And you start to wonder, what's the purpose of life? Why am I here? So here's the way I want us to examine this. First of all, we're going to see riches without the power to eat thereof in verses 1 and 2. Secondly, in verses 3 through 9, we will see one that has a long life and many children, but no good. And then we will end with the uncertain destiny of twelve through or 10 through 12. So let's ask the Lord for his guidance, please. Father, I pray you guide as we study this passage tonight. Again, Lord, <coughs> being reminded that life apart from you is complete emptiness, complete vanity, and absolutely worthless. So, Lord, I pray that we keep you, our mind stayed on you. Lord, help us, help you to be in all of our thoughts and all of our doings. And we'll thank you for it in Christ's name. Amen. 
Solomon says in verse 1, there's an evil which I have seen under sun is common among men. Common has the idea of false heavy upon man. And that is a man that has great riches, but not able to eat thereof. This man, it says, to whom God hath given riches, wealth, and honor, so he wanteth nothing. And we need to remember that all we do have comes from the hand of God, right? And some get uh, riches by honest living and, and, you know, doing the right thing. This is opposed to those that get riches by oppression, which we saw in chapter 5, verses 8 through 10, those that oppress the poor and take advantage of widows and things of that nature in order to get their gain. No, this guy got honestly his, his riches. He has all this wealth. He has all these things. But then Solomon says, yet God giveth him not the power to eat thereof. Now, maybe he has some kind of disease, maybe some kind of injury that he can't enjoy the things that he has. He can't maybe even eat properly. You know, a lot of people have different types of digestive diseases that they can't eat some of the foods. I've heard some people's allergy list and I'm like, man, you know, you can't have chocolate and you can't have all the good foods, you know, and you know, they're sitting around eating carrots and lettuce. It's like, wow, it's horrible. That's got to be a horrible life. And you can have all these good things and you, you know, that are available, but you can't enjoy any of them. But maybe it's having it taken from them. The rich man loses all. Maybe it's to a thief, to a fire. You know, there have been rich people who've, who've had uh, some type of destruction happen in their home where they lose it all. And Solomon says, is that not vanity? He had all this stuff, but he can't enjoy it. That seems awfully empty. Now, apart from God, that would be completely empty, wouldn't it? But a saved individual doesn't matter the things you have or don't have. If your hope is in Jesus Christ, the things of this world don't matter, right? Then why, Christian, do we chase the things of this world so often? Too often, Christians are living just like the world, chasing the American dream, whatever that is, wanting the two and a half kids... I don't know how you have a half a kid, but that's what the estimates say. Anyhow, you have your two and a half kids. The, the point being is, you know, they want the big house, they want the car, they want the boat, they want everything. You know, I've met people who accumulate all these things and they're not happy. Sometimes they're not happy because they're working from sun up to sun down and never able to enjoy the things they have. Exactly what Solomon's saying here. Because they got to pay off all these bills that they accumulated. Kind of worthless. It's like the rich man in Luke chapter 12, who when he had the great harvest, instead of saying, how can I help the poor? How can I help my neighbor? He says, I, I have too much stuff. I can't fit it in my barn. So I'm going to tear down my barns and I'm going to build bigger barns so I can hold all this stuff. But he didn't realize that that was the very night in which he was going to die. And you and I, instead of accumulating things for self, need to realize God wants us to be a conduit, to be a blessing to others. So riches without power to eat thereof, is vanity. But secondly, a long life and many children without good. Now, back in Bible days, children were considered a blessing. And I hope in Christendom, and especially in this church, that children are still considered a blessing. But it is sad that we live in a world that, li that thinks that children are a curse and a burden. My wife and I, when we were younger, and we were first married, we were excited about starting a family. And there was a young couple our age, 
And I remember talking to them, and, and the man was excited about starting a family, but the lady was like, I need to live for myself first. And it just took me back. We're, this was in church, by the way. She grew up, this girl grew up with Susan. They knew each other since they were little. And this girl's sitting there, I need to live for myself first because children are getting away and they're a burden and this and that and the other thing and I need to go have fun and this and that, blah, 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 blah. I'll just give you the end of the story. They're no longer a couple. She lived for self so much that she couldn't even stand her own husband after a while because he was trying to live for God and she left him. That is how the world lives. It's all about me. But in Bible days, having many children was a blessing. And so it should be considered so today. But because children are a gift from the Lord, Psalm 127, 4 and 5, As arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are the children of his youth. Happy is a man to have his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but they shall speak with the enemies in the gate. So a man would make a quiver, and each man would make his own quiver, or he'd buy one, but they had different size quivers. Just like, you know, on a good uh, rifle, you can buy different size magazines, right? Because some have good shot and some don't. And so some only need a single shot because you're going to bring the deer down on the first shot. Some of us need seven or eight because, you know, you might miss a couple times, right? Well, so it was with your quiver. Every man had a different size quiver. If you were a good shot, you didn't carry a bunch of arrows with you. Why? Well, because it's extra weight. But if you're like me, you had a big quiver. <laughs> because when it comes to archery, the broad side of a barn comes to mind. But anyhow, uh, <laughs> the idea then is it's not necessarily how many kids, but it's having a full quiver. You follow the point? Each family is different. How many is full? But the verse Psalm 127.3 still stands, Lo, children are heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. And then we live in a society that strives for long life. I remember, and I hate to even bring up his name, but I couldn't think of a better illustration than, I guess they said he sang, I don't know really what it was, but Michael Jackson, who would go in the hyperbaric chamber and do all kinds of things to try to extend his life. And he wanted to live a real long time. And what was he, 50-something when he died? 60 maybe? I think he's in his 50s when he died. Young guy, essentially. Right? But we need to be reminded, our breath is in the hand of God, Daniel 5.23, but thou hast lifted up thyself against the Lord of heaven, and they have brought the vessels of the house of the Lord before thee. Thou and thy lords and thy wives and thy concubines have drunk wine in them. And thou hast praised the gods of silver and of gold and brass, of iron, wood, stone, which see not nor hear not. And the God in whose hand thy breath is and whose are all thy ways thou hast not glorified. But verse 3 says, If a man beget a hundred children and live many years, so that the days of his years be many, and his soul be filled not with good... And also, they, he have no burial. I say that an untimely birth is better than he. Soul not filled with good. Now, we're talking one who's not content. One who 
is constantly complaining about everything. One who does not have good, but the truth is, in all of us is no good. The only good in me is, is Christ. So, apart from God, is there good? No. And so, it doesn't matter how long you live, how many children you have, if you don't have God in your life, what good is it? Does that not what he's trying to tell us? What good is it? You know, this might be the guy who hoards all his wealth. He doesn't praise God for anything. He presses others instead of giving. But then it says he has no burial. Now, not having a burial is a disgrace in Eastern culture. It would be like, how many remember either reading or watching um, A Christmas Carol? Ebenezer, nobody showed up to his funeral. Why? Because he's Scrooge. Nobody liked him. Why would I go to Scrooge's funeral? Well, the only way I'd go is if I got a call from somebody and asked me to go, like the time Pastor Wingard called me and asked me to go to a funeral with him. Somebody I didn't know, but that was different. But it wasn't a Scrooge. That place was full. But nobody cared. Nobody remembers him. And so Solomon says an untimely birth or a miscarriage that never saw the light of day is better off than this guy. Because this guy lives his whole life, but there's nothing to it. Nothing to count for. Nothing to give. It's worthless. It's empty. He says, one that never saw the light of day is better off than he is. That's pretty sad, isn't it? The man lives a long time, but he's covered in darkness. And then in verse 6, Yea, though he live a thousand tw- years twice old, he hath, yet he hath not seen no good. Do, all not, do all, not all go to one place. In other words, both the untimely birth and the rich man has no good, eventually going to be forgotten. So verse 9, Better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering of the desire. This also is vanity and vexation of spirit. Better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering of desire. In other words, instead of desiring more, be content with what you have. Be content with what you have. Paul reminds us in 1 Timothy, but godliness with contentment is great gain. It's better to be satisfied with God's provisions than to have a desire for more and not even know exactly what you're looking for. Isn't that how the world is? They don't even know what it is they're looking for. I just need something else. Well, Christian, why don't you and I take the opportunity to share share with them the only one that can satisfy, and that is Jesus Christ. Because they will keep looking everywhere else until they try to find it. And they'll never find it anywhere else apart from him. And then lastly, an uncertain destiny. That which hath been is named already. There's nothing new under the sun. Right? Now, we get new gadgets coming out all the time. And people say, ooh, it's the latest and greatest. Okay, yes, I understand. We have found new ways in which to use technology and things of that nature, but there's truthfully nothing new under the sun, is there? No. Matter of fact, the nature of man is still the same today as it was 2,000 years ago, as it was 3,000 years ago. In my personal study in the Bible, I'm in the book of 1 Samuel. Just got done the book of Judges. And every time I go through the book of Judges, I sit there and I scratch my head and I say, huh? 
half the things that were done in the book of Judges, don't you? Because some of the things done in the book of Judges, you're like, how could you even think that that should be right? But it says twice in the book, every man did that which was right in his own eyes. You know what we live in a society today? Every man does that which is right in his own eyes. But when I look at the scriptures and I see the way people acted, like I read in uh, 1 Samuel this morning, when Samuel comes to him and says, listen, the people come to Samuel and say, your sons are not following after God. We don't want them to be our judges. We want a king. And Samuel says, if you get a king, he's going to tax you to death. He's going to take your your sons and put them in the army. He's going to take your daughters and he's going to put them to work in his kitchen. He's going to take your servants. He's going to take your animals. He's going to take this. He's going to take that. And he just starts listing all this stuff that the king is going to take if you call for a king. And the people at the end say, yeah, good, give us a king. And I look at that and I say, you know, people really haven't changed. They're just as dumb today as they were then. We cannot fight against God. Verse 10. That which has been named is named already, or that which has been named already. And it is known that there is a man, neither may he contend with him that is mightier than he. You know, we can't fight against God. Isaiah 45, verse 9, Woe to him that striveth with his maker. Romans 9, 20, Nay, but O man, who art thou that repliest against God? Shall the thing formed say to him that formed it, Why hast thou made me thus? And by the way, Christian, let's be content the way God made us. I am short and fat. Now, with COVID, I lost 10 pounds, and I'm hoping to lose more, but it's still not going to help the short part and bald. And I'm okay with all three. I have a whole lot less hair to comb than most of you do. The only problem is when it grows too long, I start to look like Bozo the Clown, but that's all right. (laughs) I'm okay with that, too, because it's the way God made me. But I see some people that are never satisfied. If they have straight hair, they want curly hair. If they had curly hair, they want straight hair. If it's blonde, they want a brunette. If it's brunette, they want a blonde. And, you know, oh, I don't like this about my face, so I think I'll go get them to... (laughs) What in the world, folks? How about we say, God, you made me the way I am. I am unique from any other individual you ever made. Thank you. That's really special, isn't it? Verse 11, seeing there be many things that increase vanity, what is man the better? There's a lot of things that just seem to keep increasing more and more emptiness, more and more worthlessness. What are we the better? All the things we get. All the, thi- all the toys that we have, are we any better for them? Think about it. You go back 150 years ago, and families would sit around in the evening, and they would talk to one another, and they'd tell stories, and they'd tell history, and they'd tell things to each other, or they'd play games together, or they would do something together as a family. But what do we all do now? Because we're watching the TV. And where is our communication? Where's our talking to one another? And this could be either video games or on the phone. I've seen people sit in the same room and they sit there and text each other. I'm like, there's this weird thing called a voice. Let's try it. Verse 12, 
God knows what is best. For who knoweth what is good for man in this life, all the days of his vain life, what he spendeth as a shadow? Who can tell a man what shall be after him under the sun? There is an answer. It's God and God only. Now, take God out of the picture and try to answer that question, those questions. You're left pretty empty, aren't you? Romans 12, 2, Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, and ye may prove what is a good and acceptable and perfect will of God. How do I know how I'm supposed to live? You know what? It goes with Ed's testimony. This word right here. As I study this word, God instructs me how I'm supposed to live. And it should do everyone's heart well to hear a testimony that says, I thank God for God's word. Because we should be always thankful that he gave us a revelation of himself. He gave us his love letter right here. But he talks about all the days of his vain life, which he spendeth as a shadow. You know, we need to be reminded life is short. James 4.14, Whereas you know not what is on tomorrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time that vanisheth away. I don't know when the end of my life will be. So, for the last month, sitting around, bored out of my gourd, been doing some reading, then I'd watch TV, found this show that was supposed to be some kind of Christian show, and they were talking about Jesus Christ was supposed to come in 1844. And then when 1844 came around, they had a problem because he didn't come. <laughs> so then they switched their theology to, oh, that's when, and they, they switched it anyhow. But it's, it's interesting. You know, you can find all kinds of people that have set dates. The last one that I remember was Harold Camping. Now, he's, he's gone now. But I remember, oh, man, that was about, what, 10 years ago or so? Harold Camping set a date, and then when Jesus didn't come, he hid in his house for like two months. Everybody remember that? Until he came up with a reason why it didn't work. The Bible says no man knows the time. Nobody knows the hour but the Father. You know what that tells me? Even the Son doesn't know. He's waiting for the Father to say, it's time to go. And if Jesus Christ doesn't know, then how would I expect me to know? You can study the Bible all you want, and you're not going to find a day of when Jesus is coming back. We don't know. I will say this. The apostles expected it in their day, and every, every generation of the church has expected it in their day, and we better expect it in our day. We don't know. But who can tell what's going to be after you? Well, I am glad that God can. I am glad that I called this point the uncertain destiny, that we can have certainty of our destiny we can know that we are children of God, and when we die, we're going to be ushered into the presence of God, and we will spend all eternity with him. We can know that beyond a shadow of a doubt because God said so. But without God, people run around in uncertainty. And then so they try to make up, well, maybe there really is no heaven. Maybe there is no hell. Maybe there is no God. Because, see, if you admit there's a God, then, that admit, then you're admitting then there is one greater than us, and that gives him the right to give us, to tell us how we ought to live and makes us accountable. And man doesn't want to be accountable, so they try to deny the existence of God. 
And man has come up with all kinds of crazy things since, haven't they? It's amazing how much effort and money we spend looking out into space trying to find the smallest little life out there, but yet the smallest little life in the womb we're not willing to protect. It's absolutely amazing to me how depraved the mind of man truly is. You know, riches without power to eat thereof, having many children, and a long life without good, and the uncertainty of destination are vain when viewed apart from God. But when we understand that there is an almighty, holy God, it changes everything, doesn't it? It gives purpose to life. Christian, you and I are here with a purpose. I'm not just here to occupy space and fill time. But I am here to preach faithfully the Word of God, to be a witness trying to win souls to Jesus Christ. And by the way, that is a commission given to every single born-again believer to go into all the world and preach the gospel. Every one of us has that responsibility. Every one of us has that purpose in life. But beyond that, everything I do should be done for the glory of God. And is that not reasonable, Paul says, considering Jesus Christ gave his all and given up the glories of heaven, coming down to this world and taking upon himself the form of man and dying upon the cross of Calvary, shedding his blood for you and for me, doesn't it only make sense that I would want to give everything back to him for his glory? Every aspect of my life. That gives purpose to my life. Why am I here? To glorify God. Why am I going to work tomorrow? To glorify God. Why do I eat? Well, you know what? I can't taste it anyhow, so I've been eating healthy stuff. Hoping to kind of keep that habit after I can taste it again. My wife and I haven't gone out to eat since we've had this lack of taste because why spend money on good food you can't taste? But you know, we're actually losing weight sitting at home, but that had nothing to do with it other than the fact that we're trying to do it for the glory of God. Do all for the glory of God. Whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, all we do needs to be done for the glory of God. Let's bow forward to prayer.